Hey everyone, welcome back to Strange New Worlds, a science and Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Mike Waugh. Last time on Strange New Worlds, psychologist Dr. Jason Von Steetz joined us to talk about the psychology of Star Trek Lower Decks, from Boimler's penchant for perfectionism to Mariner's troubles with therapy. Today, Jason is back to talk about the psychological themes in the latest live-action Star Trek series, Strange New Worlds. Specifically, we'll be taking a closer look at Lieutenant Spock's struggles with letting out his human emotions, and the way that Captain Pike deals with the trauma of knowing his own gruesome future. Ready? Hit it. So let's talk about some of the psychology in mm -hmm. the latest series of Star Trek, Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Um, mm -hmm. We just had the first season of that this year. And uh, let's begin with Spock's anger. So mm -hmm. this is uh, zeroing in on episode nine of the first season. Uh, this episode is titled all those who wander. And in this episode, Spock unleashes something that he can't quite control, which is his rage. So the premise for this episode is that an Enterprise away team gets stranded on an icy planet in a crashed starship, which so happens to be infested with Gorn hatchlings. It's mm -hmm. kind of Star Trek's take on a horror movie. I, I think I have a, a new entry for my Halloween episode list mm. now. You know, this was a really good one for that. Um, but back to Spock's emotions. So it all starts with this conversation between Nurse Chapel and Spock. Nurse Chapel, I need thermal synthesizers for your burn wound. Where? You look fine. Lieutenant Duke. He did not account for potential instabilities in Jeffrey's tomb. Duke wasn't paying attention. Indeed. Although I do fail to see the logic in asking me to come for supplies instead of seeking treatment. Mm, well, Duke made rank, Spock. He's acting tough. Pride, a flawed human emotion. It's called foolish for a reason. Thankfully, the teachings of Serac allow me to purge such things. One does not take pride in logic. I understand that uh, Vulcans have a strong, hidden, primal nature. I bet you're a tempest when you're angry. It is true that without proper mindfulness, Vulcan emotion is dangerous. We use logic to not succumb to anger. It's good to get mad sometimes. Later on in the episode, the Gorn get loose and start killing Enterprise crew members. And Sam Kirk gets very volatile. So like when Spock is remarking that Gorn physiology is really impressive for evading their scanners and doing all sorts of cool things, Kirk says, You think this is impressive? It was merely an observation. He killed Duke right in front of you, Spock. Doesn't that hit you somewhere deep inside? No, nothing. We just need to reboot navigation. Can you feel anything? Or are you just some heartless, pointy-eared computer? Hey! And then, in the climax of the episode, the away team decides to neutralize the Gorn by setting up a trap. And at one point, Spock needs to draw out the Gorn to get it to fight him. And at Sam Kirk's behest, Spock 
accesses his rage, which is buried deep within him. It's going into the vent system. Spock, get into position. It's not responding. You have to draw it out. Fight it, Spock! Make it angry! Rage that is in my thoughts. With that rage, the crew is able to vanquish the Gorn. So Jason, as mm-hmm. a psychologist, you know, anger is usually billed as a very negative emotion, right. but can accessing anger ever be a good thing for performance or for your mental health? Sure, sure. And, and it can be a nuanced situation. So a lot of times we'll talk about certain emotions as negative or bad or you know something to be avoided but people experience the full range of emotions and it's information uh, emotions help to uh, let you know what you're thinking about something so with anger anger is an emotion that people usually feel when they've been wronged or, or harmed in some way Or it could also be a secondary emotion. Maybe first someone feels hurt. Maybe they feel sad. Maybe they feel scared. And then the anger will be a secondary emotion that comes out as sort of as a response to protect themselves in some way. So anger is an emotion just like like any other. And Spock is uh, Vulcan and human. And I can't speak too much to Vulcans, but with humans, if you try to push your emotions down, they come right back up. So trying to suppress emotions is generally not healthy in the long run. Of course, there are specific situations where, you know, it probably is in your best interest to push that anger down at least temporarily, you know, so you don't yell at your boss or, uh, you know, punch someone if they cut you off and, or something like that. So in the moment, yeah, it can be healthy to just suppress that anger. But then later on, you definitely want to find a healthy way to express that, that emotion. And the Vulcans will even talk about how Vulcan emotions are extremely powerful and they needed to learn to suppress them. And then once they did, then their civilization was able to thrive. I, I think that's the, you know, the, the gist of it. And Spock, um, maybe suppressing isn't as healthy as all Vulcans might think. Maybe Spock is, you know, because he's human and and Vulcan, it's not as healthy for him. But yeah, for humans, just long-term suppression of emotions is not healthy and it'll come out in lots of weird ways. Or if you're like Spock in that moment and all of a sudden you access it, it it's not just, you know, some superficial anger from that moment. It's rage from deep down just all the years of suppressing emotion Um, so it definitely can be very difficult to to control and 
a lot of athletes will think, you know, I perform best when I'm angry, you know, uh, maybe sometimes fighters will think, you know, I need to get punched just to wake up and get angry and then start, start fighting. And, you know, there is some value to that, but, you know, it, it's also a double-edged sword. One, you don't want to have to get angry and able to, in order to perform your best. Uh, ideally, you can be angry, you can be excited, you can be um, neutral, and then still perform your best no matter what's going on, because emotions are, they can often be fleeting. And you don't want to have to always access some kind of rage or always um, force yourself to be excited. You know, that can be helpful, but you won't always be able to do it. Also, another thing that applies to humans, a lot of times people will be wrong or other people won't judge their performance the same way. I've heard from different athletes that they perform their best when they're angry and then the coach talks to me. Maybe that was said in a group meeting. And then later on, the coach says, ah, we, we've been telling that person to work on their anger and they don't actually perform best when they're angry and they make a lot of errors and they have bad judgment and stuff like that. So right. so someone could think they do their best when they're angry, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Mm. I mean, Mike Tyson said a happy fighter is a dangerous fighter. I, I think there's a, a lot of truth to that when someone is feeling good, they're loving what they're doing, they're excited to get back to practice, that's going to really help them to perform their best versus needing to uh, be angry. That, that that can really wear somebody down in the long run. I got a couple of things that I sure. um, you know want to say in response to that. Um, first of all, with regard to athletes thinking that they perform better when they're angry. I, mm -hmm. I do know people who go to the gym, they pop in their earbuds and they specifically listen to things that make them angry to pump yeah. them up. And I guess, you know, like you said, it's an emotion and it probably serves some kind of evolutionary mm -hmm. purpose. And mm -hmm. one of the effects of getting angry is probably that, you know, your body physiologically gets ready to fight, gets ready to mm -hmm. exercise and, um, and exert itself. Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe that's just one way people, you know, get into that kind of mode. Um, I don't know too many athletes, professional athletes, you know, so I can't speak to that, but I just do know, you know, people who go to the gym and, and, and get angry to do it. Yeah. Um, but I really love your line about how emotions are information, right? Mm -hmm. When you feel an emotion, that is a response to something about in the environment. And you can almost like read that as like, right. oh, I'm feeling angry or I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling really, really gleeful right now. Mm -hmm. That contains information about something that you've just experienced. Right. And in back to that evolutionary sense, you know, it's not really surprising that we have emotions because mm -hmm. they help us respond appropriately to certain right. situations. Maybe there was something that rightfully made us angry because it's a huge right. injustice and we would need right. to go and, you know, rally ourselves to go and face that injustice, mm -hmm. whether it's uh, to get that, that kind of motivation, uh, mm -hmm. the bravery to confront somebody about right. something that's wrong in the world. And so it strikes me through this new lens that you've given me how stark of a decision it was for Vulcan society to push back their emotions, given that emotions are just a product of evolution, that they mm -hmm. help us survive. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I completely agree with one of the points you said. Well, I agree with everything you said, but I want to comment uh, specifically on something you said that there can be a lot of injustice and that can bring up anger. That's definitely the case. And I'm sure there's been tons of athletes who um, don't need to find a reason to make themselves angry because life is hard. We don't necessarily live in a perfectly just society. There is lots of injustice, whether it's wealth inequality, um, racial injustice, uh, sexism. There's all kinds of reasons um, why somebody would rightfully uh, feel that they've been wronged or harmed in some way. Um, and then having a sport or a discipline or just exercise where they can harness that anger in, in a healthy way through exercise or through competition is, is great. That's really healthy. And then I think uh, the, the difference between that healthy expression and then something that uh, could harm somebody's performance is probably just intensity. You know, uh, in, in Spock's situation, he let out, you know, Vulcan rage, where, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a lot stronger than your average human rage. And then I think it was uh, Samuel Kirk or someone, someone tried to grab him, pull him through a door, like, hey, Spock, you okay? And then uh, Spock, like, grabbed him, and, ah, and it was yeah. gonna let his anger out on him. So you can see, even with somebody as capable and and generally in control as Spock that intense rage still overwhelmed him mm-hmm. and then you know if this were a sport maybe he would have grabbed a referee and then he could have got kicked out of the game or um, if he had a little bit more rage and a little bit more impatience he could have ended up killing Samuel Kirk or or somebody yeah, else yeah. so that that intense rage it's going to impact his performance. And that's a lot different than the healthy expression of just anger that somebody feels on a day-to-day basis. Oh, for sure. Yeah. There is definitely that tipping point. Like you said, it's like a matter of intensity or degree Mm -hmm. of anger. And if it's too angry and you're out of control, yeah, Mm -hmm. that can lead to some really bad things. And that plays right into my next question, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, after they escape from the Gorn infested ship back on the enterprise, Spock tells Nurse Chapel that I can't control it. I let something out. Rage, pain. It's your emotions. My mind has gotten weak. No, no. It doesn't make you weak, Spock. It makes you human. In this day and age, like you said, with all of these injustices around us, uh, the, the fact that we've been through so much grief and turmoil over the past couple of years and witnessed so much horror and evil, mm-hmm. for someone dealing with uncontrollable rage like Spock right. uh, or just an ordinary 21st century human, how would you suggest they deal with it? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, it would take a lot of work, a lot of therapy, especially with, with rage at, at that um, at that level. Hopefully life changes. Um, and, and one of the problems is that, you know, one person can control what they can control, but then there's still so many societal forces that we wouldn't really be able to fix 
you know, all of politics, or uh, we, we wouldn't be able to fix, you know, these these greater forces that can add up to really, really oppressing somebody. So it, it, it's difficult. Um, but, you know, if we're talking a, a really specifically about that, that intense rage, the short version would be to find ways to, well, I guess, let out steam to just, you know, th- there's already a metaphor for that. So what what usually happens and what happened with, uh, with Spock is he's been suppressing emotions his entire life. And one, um, he has the Vulcan rage, the Vulcan emotion, which is very intense by human standards. And then, you know, if, if we think about why he might feel like he's been wronged or harmed, He's a mixed race, essentially, or mixed species. And if we look at how um, other Vulcans talk to Spock, they're constantly bringing up how he's human. They're constantly doubting him, constantly um, attributing every disagreement that they have with him to the fact that he's a human. So he is just in this never-ending cycle of needing to prove how logical he is, prove how, uh, how Vulcan he is. And uh, there's a thing called microaggressions. You know, microaggressions are, you know, when there's just these little, slight, subtle insults that people will do to someone that could easily go unnoticed. And um, they're so subtle that if you bring it up to somebody, they, they could just say, what are you talking about? I wasn't insulting you. I was just... You know, I was just saying, maybe it's because you're human. Who knows? I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, I'm just saying. But uh, these are never ending and it's like a death by a thousand cuts. So all of this really adds up to uh, to Spock just having this intense rage that he's constantly suppressing. So, you know, if you were boiling water and you put the lid on the pot, then sooner or later, all the steam and all the heat is going to keep building and building and building. And then, you know, maybe the lid just comes flying off. Maybe someone opens the lid and then all this steam and hot water comes spurting out and and it could be really dangerous. So then what we would want to do, of course, is find ways to let that steam out in a safe, manageable way. And then uh, I guess to stick with the metaphor a little bit more, turn down the heat, you know. (laughs) So if Spock's able to be in a community that's much more supportive of him, that's not constantly giving him microaggressions, and he's able to express his anger in a helpful way and explore it, maybe on a holodeck situation, maybe in therapy, maybe just by talking to Nurse Chapel, talking to Pike, talking to friends, just little by little letting that emotion out, then it can be much more manageable. And also he can gain comfort with emotion instead of suppressing just allow himself to feel emotion uh you know to whatever degree that uh, that he would feel it and then it's probably uncomfortable for him but have that uncomfortable feeling and then still use good judgment still you know refrain from grabbing someone or or doing something impulsive and then it's a skill that he would develop over time and he would be able to have healthy anger or healthy emotion instead of that intense, overwhelming, uncontrollable emotion that that came out in that episode. Yeah. In terms of the first thing that you would suggest for Spock, um, I definitely see 
maybe his move to Starfleet in that way, getting away from the microaggressions that are inherent to that fully Vulcan community. Mm-hmm. And one thing I've always wondered about Spock, you know, Spock is this like kind of the outsider on a Starfleet ship. Mm-hmm. Um, but we know that the Enterprise is full of not just humans, but also other species. So for instance, we have um, the Enar chief engineer, Hammer. Mm-hmm. On, on board. And I always wondered if Spock ever bonded with the other non-human crew members in just being distinct from, from humans. And that's something that I've always wanted to see occur. And then in terms of the other aspects that you wanted to see from Spock, you know, little ways to vent a little bit of that mm-hmm. steam, you know, whether it's displaying a little bit of that anger in mm-hmm. conversations with Pike or just talking it over, you know, I'm mm-hmm. I, I'm experiencing this kind of anger about this injustice or whatever, you know, and letting that out. I don't particularly see him doing that. Maybe what Spock needs to do is go hit the gym or something. Right. <laughs> you know, let out some of that anger. I, I, I don't really know. I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but but this is a great point that you're bringing up about, you know, what one would do, not necessarily Spock, but like an actual person mm-hmm. who is dealing with a lot of suppressed rage. And I think this is all very helpful advice. Yeah, thank you. And uh, you you brought up a really interesting point. Uh, there's all these other species. And we don't know that much about how they feel things or respond to things. And yeah, it would be really interesting to see if there's some lizard creature who has some kind of different emotions than, than we would normally feel. It seems like Klingons mainly experience rage, but they are able to harness it. And um, they also have a good time. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. so maybe there is something that he could learn from Klingons or, or some other species that aren't human or Vulcan. Hopefully not to derail us too much mm-hmm. from Strange New Worlds, but one fascinating species mm-hmm. from an emotional point of view I found was the Kelpians from Star Trek Discovery, right? Saru mm-hmm. and the way that he experienced fear in seasons mm-hmm. one and two of Discovery was very different, I think, from right. the way that, for instance, Klingons would be bold, brash, and full of rage, mm-hmm. or Vulcans, very stoic, uh, or humans. This Kelpian way of being, this Kelpian way of feeling was so cool. Right. And I guess I kind of regret that we didn't get to see a little bit more of Saru interacting with Spock. But, um, right. you know, maybe in another reality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. Because they, you know, they might predominantly feel fear. But then, you know, they do uh, harness it for mostly productive reasons. And then they are a member of the Federation. And they have influence from other species. And then near the the end of... Um, uh, at least Saru's arc that we know of, they do se- seem to balance out more. So, you know, and I think that can um, be said about a lot of people. Someone might have a temperament where they have more anger or more anxiety. But, you know, if you're in a big group of friends and and you're learning from them and being supported by them, then you can learn to adapt your behavior and see things differently. And um, your temperament will only change so much. But, you know, you can kind of balance out that way. Yeah. And I think that's part of what makes Starfleet great is the the diversity Mm -hmm. that it has and the ability to learn from one's peers. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's turn to our final theme uh, for today, which is the theme of Captain Pike's trauma. 
Now, this was pervasive throughout the first season of Strange New Worlds, but it was really exemplified in the first and the last episodes of the season. So in the briefest kind of recap possible, basically, Mm. Pike is living with the memory of a visit to the future, the day that he becomes irrevocably injured trying to save the ship and crew from a catastrophe. So in season one, episode one, titled Strange New Worlds, Christopher Pike is kind of undecided if he wants to go back out into space where that horrible future lies in wait, but an urgent mission to save his number one sends him back up into space, ready or not. And on this mission, he is just flooded with the ghosts of that memory of the future everywhere. And at one point, he's confiding with Spock, who delivers these words of wisdom. Sir, I would suggest knowledge of death is vital for effective leadership. Knowledge is one thing, Spock, but I experienced it. How will it live in me? Will it make me hesitant? Cautious, not cautious enough. I'm already second guessing myself, and that's the last thing a captain can afford. Suffering can be transformed into insight. You must seek out the good in knowing your own death. Use it to be the man you most essentially are. Who's that, Spock? The captain. Captain Pike to the bridge. We're dropping out of war. Jason, my question for you is, how do you see the connections between suffering and insight and finding our most essential selves? Yeah, yeah, great question, man. And I love, uh, I love Pike and I love Spock. They're uh, the best kind of bros. Uh, they really, they really <laughs> yeah. support each other. You know, I, I thought Kirk and Spock were great, and and Spock and anybody is usually going to be a great team. Spock and Picard, or Spock and whoever. But I'm really liking uh, Spock and, and Pike right now. Yeah, and that's that's a great point. You know, suffering can turn into insight. And and there's a saying, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And that's true to a degree, but it can also give you lifelong trauma. Uh, and it can um, influence you in ways that you might not be aware of. Mm-hmm. So it's really, really helpful to either get therapy if you have access to it, or um, if you don't, at the very least, um, have a support system of friends and family that you can talk to and and share your struggles with, and, you know, not keep it all inside. Uh, You know, not everybody has a support system. So if you don't, and you can't go to therapy, journaling, journaling can be really helpful so that you can reflect on your experiences, reflect on how you're feeling, reflect on what's going right, what's going wrong, what can you do better in the future. And then that that suffering can um, turn into insight and it can be really, really helpful and, and help you to uh, live your life the way that you would like to. But, you know, it it can easily go the other way where people's lives get smaller and smaller because uh, they avoid more and more. One of the most common ways that people deal with an uncomfortable emotion is avoidance. And that's helpful in the short term, but then the long term, 
you know, your problems just get worse, or at the very least, they stay the same, they, they maintain because, because you're not addressing it. So if you can slowly approach the things that you've been avoiding, and get more comfortable with uncomfortable feelings, and address the problems that you would rather not address, over time, things can get a lot better. And then that's when um, suffering can turn into insight. But it can be really easy to just avoid. So however you're going to do it, whether it's going to therapy, talking to friends or journaling, approaching instead of avoiding would probably be my short answer as to how that suffering turns into insight. That's great advice. And at the risk of sounding like Boimler, <laughs> I wish I could read Captain Pike's journal, <laughs> you know, his personal logs. I guess we get a little glimpse at that uh, every episode, you know, uh, I feel like there is some kind of log entry once in a while. Um, but yeah, that would, that would be such a fun read. Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe there'll be like a, a Star Trek novel that comes out, an autobiography of Captain Pike or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, on the one hand, Pike's trauma is kind of unique, right? He used the time crystal. He saw the future. He right. knows that the man he is now will cease to exist. But on the other hand, it's also like not that unique because right. we all know that we're going to die. Right. And um, I think Spock says that knowledge of death is vital for effective leadership. Mm -hmm. Would you say, Jason, that knowledge of our death is vital for effective living? Wow. Yeah, I would say so. Um, I don't know what it's like to be immortal exactly, but I've seen different <laughs> <laughs> I've seen different TV shows, and uh, it seems like after a thousand years or so, people really uh, they just they want it to end. Like it's not in in most of the movies or stories that I've seen, immortality is more of a curse than a gift. The Good Place is is another example of that, but. Yeah, that, that's just to say that you, you want to know that that your time will be up. Uh, you want to, to know that there is danger and things could go wrong and, and things could result in somebody dying or just, you know, you, you have a limited amount of time and you want to make the most of it. So, yeah. So, so knowing that, let's say in a best case scenario, you only have five years with somebody, you know, you want to spend that five years teaching them, helping them, you know, learning from them, growing, you know, uh, doing things that are meaningful. And then in, in the worst case scenario, you do want to know that there is danger and that you don't want to be careless and you want to make sure your actions are connected to your values. Uh, one of my all-time favorite scenes in all of star trek is now uh with with pike when he does touch the time crystal back in in star trek discovery and he sees his future and he's just terrified and he throws himself back and he, he does this gut-wrenching um you know cry and then um he could he could just get scared off and say screw this i'm not gonna i'm not gonna condemn myself but instead he recites his values and he says something like I am a Starfleet captain, and I believe in love and service and justice. You may still choose to walk away from this future, but if you take the crystal, 
your fate will be sealed forever. There will be no escaping it. seen for myself no give it to me and then i'm even getting a little a little uh, teary-eyed right now thinking about it and i i feel a little goofy i feel a little embarrassed uh doing that because it's it's oh, a tv don't show be. <laughs> yeah. don't be i've yeah. i've teared up at star trek so many yeah. times in fact re-watching this first episode of strange new worlds and captain pike's speech when he goes down to the planet and tries to heal this broken society and he yeah. shows them footage of of our society right. to do that our society being an example of a very broken mm-hmm. society and he's like don't do this right um oh my gosh it gets me every time yeah yeah I know. there's waterworks <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, yeah it's a, so star trek is great captain pike is great and that moment uh you know he could have made a different decision but he went straight to his values he gave himself uh, a timeline it's like okay this is going to happen and there's no escaping it and you don't always know you, you i mean you, you never know you never know your own timeline you never know when uh, when it's going to be the end for you so that means it's even more important to go back to your values, do what you think is best because, you know, tomorrow, uh, maybe the next day, maybe the day after that, it could be it for you. And most people aren't going to look back and think, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad I, um, you know, did the easy thing instead of the uh, the value-based thing that I really care about. Most people are going to, you know, want to, do things that really matter that give them meaning and give give their life meaning sounds like going back to your values and reminding mm-hmm. yourself of what you care about the most in this world and in your life is kind of the way that you would advise most people who are dealing with trauma is that right right yeah exactly and and, and connecting it to your challenges so um with uh, with pike you know maybe he has ptsd maybe something similar but he's having these intrusive memories over and over again of that vision that he had he knows he's going to have to face this this terrible future and it could be easy to stay on vacation like like he was uh at the start of episode one and to connect that to real life a little bit a lot of times People will think, you know, if I can just take two weeks off, if I can just, you know, go on some kind of vacation, I'll feel so much better. And, you know, that can help. But what often happens is that somebody can end up wanting to avoid more and more. And then, you know, taking time off can lead to wanting to avoid going back to work, wanting to avoid going back to the grocery store, to daily living, to all those things. So yeah, a, a vacation can definitely help, but you still want to little by little approach the thing that you've been trying to avoid. 
so for Pike, that would be being on a, a starship and any decisions that he would try to make to avoid that future, it's really going to be in his best interest to face those decisions as long as it's the right decision that, that he, he really thinks is for the best. And, you know, just getting comfortable with that feeling and getting comfortable with those images uh, that he sees will go a long way to help it so that they're coming up less and less. Because if you push something away, it just comes right back. But if you let it be there, a lot of times it'll just go away on its own. And I feel like in addition to returning to one's values, something the Star Trek episode was trying to tell us was maybe it's also the power of choice that Mm -hmm. uh, is really powerful in dealing with some kind of traumatic event in your life, knowing Mm -hmm. that you have agency over your future or at least certain aspects of your future. So when Pike goes down to the planet, just to return to this very moving speech, you know, he tells the people of Kylie 279. Perhaps somewhere all your ends are written as indelibly as mine. But I choose to believe that your destinies are still your own. Maybe that's why I'm here, to remind you of the power of possibility. Maybe that's the good in in seeing my future, that I might remind you that right up until the very end, life is to be worn gloriously. Because until our last moment, the future is what we make it. And I feel like in this episode, and this is really speaking to Anson Mount's amazing acting abilities, he wasn't just addressing that chamber of world leaders on that planet he was also talking to himself and kind of getting Mm -hmm. himself out of that rut that we saw him at the beginning of the episodes this kind of like avoidance behavior that you were talking about convincing himself really that no he should be in the captain's chair making a difference in the galaxy for as long as he can because he's got that agency Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You can really see him. um, Yeah. Like you said, just working it out for himself in Pike's situation, we're talking about time crystals and seeing some kind of destined future, but it's not that far off from what other people experience. I remember hearing a story about Michael J. Fox and finding out that he had Parkinson's and I'm pretty sure it's Parkinson's. And he asked his doctor, how long will I be able to keep working? And the doctor said about 10 years. So mm. um, Michael J. Fox remembered that, kept working, and um, ended up working for about 10 years. I'm assuming because he loved it. It meant a lot to him. So he kept working at it, uh, even though he would be in a lot of pain and, and have a lot of difficulty at times. And even just a, a, an athlete, um, they know they're, they're not going to be able to compete forever. Uh, one of the really common ways athletes or reasons athletes stop competing is because of an injury. So, you know, they know chances are one of these times I'm going to get an injury and then I won't be able to keep going or I'll just get older. And then not even that old necessarily could be 33. You know, they just, they just reach a certain age and then they're not as fast as they used to be. They're not as strong as they used to be. Their knees aren't as uh, capable as they used to be. And then their time is up. And, you know, they know heading into 
a football game, it's doing wear and tear on them. And, um, you know, they could have a few more aches and pains after every game. But, you know, they love it and they keep doing it. And hopefully they do it in a safe way and it's not going to affect their brains or, you know, have any kind of damage that they didn't intend. But, uh, you know, even in that best case scenario, they know one of these days it's going to be up and uh, they have to do their best to hopefully enjoy the time, get the most out of it hopefully save a, a nest egg for, for afterward and, and transition out. So that same kind of experience that Pike has where he knows, man, I, you know, I'm a great officer. I'm capable. I have all these skills, but my time's going to come to an end. Yeah. Yeah. There seems to be this inherent paradox or contradiction between the helpfulness mm-hmm. of remembering that you've got agency and the helpfulness of remembering that in the end, destiny will find you anyway. So like in this very last episode of the season of Strange New Worlds titled Equality of Mercy, Pike gets a visit from his future self um, who's wearing like the monster maroon mm-hmm. uh, uniform, which I really <laughs> love to see. Um, and and basically Pike's future version shows him what will happen if he tries to save those who are harmed by the accident in our Pike's near future, you know, including himself. And it's such a brilliant episode of Star Mm -hmm. Trek, right? Pike is basically reminded of his destiny and his fate. And this insight comes from perhaps the most unlikely of figures, a Romulan commander who says to Pike just before he is culled by his own praetor. I regret that we meet in this way. You and I are of a kind. In a different reality, I could have called you friend. What purpose will it serve to die? We are creatures of duty, you and I. Just one more duty to perform. Do not be upset. I have accepted my fate. Perhaps someday my sacrifice will lead to an end to this conflict between us. And so maybe there is some kind of solace in knowing that ultimately we have no choice but to bend Mm -hmm. to entropy. Like you were saying, these athletes who know that their time will be up in a few short years, that they may suffer a very debilitating injury that will stop them from continuing to compete. You know, maybe there is some peace in knowing that by leaving, you are making way for something new, maybe something greater as Pike is handing off this chair to Captain Kirk uh, or planning to, or, you know, <laughs> getting to know Kirk <laughs> in this last episode. And, and, and maybe it just gives meaning, more meaning to everything mm-hmm. to know that there will be an end and eventually you will have no choice. And it just strikes me as this very interesting paradox between, you know, finding a lot of uh, motivation to, to confront your trauma and to move past it by acknowledging your agency. And at the same time, finding that peace of mind and just knowing that it will all be over one day right. anyway. And I'm just like, my mind can't, it's, so, it's, like it's trying to process the two yeah. things and reconcile them and it's struggling, but I love the struggle. Right. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Cause I really like uh, how you said all that. And then uh, if we look at, you know, just your regular athletes experience, you know, uh, high school sports are great. And then high school sports come to an end. And then after that, maybe you experience college sports and that's great. And then, you know, maybe not. And it w- but whatever happens, you you have your your experience. 
then, you know, hopefully you really make the most of it. Hopefully you find, you know, a lot of value and meaning in it. And, and then afterward you transition out and something else comes up. Maybe it's a family life. Maybe it's a career. Maybe you coach or whatever it might be. And that next thing that comes along could be even better or maybe not. And maybe you look back fondly on uh, the experience that you already had. And then even when we look at Pike, um, you know, Pike doesn't know what comes after the, the terrible accident. So from his perspective, it is all over. You know, everything he was is gone and everything that he found meaning in, he can no longer participate in. It's essentially a meaningless life of pain and suffering. But we know that, you know, maybe he experiences that for a while. I don't know how long. And then he ends up um, on an alien paradise, um, <laughs> you know, just just living his best life, um, yeah. you know, with uh, Vinu or with, yeah, Vina. yeah, yeah, yeah. So things can seem really powerful. Things can seem like it's all encompassing and there's nothing worthwhile afterward. But that's that's not necessarily the truth. That's such a great point, Jason. Last question for you is I'm sure people are eager to hear more about the great work that you do. So where can people follow you on the internet? And do you have any new projects that you want to plug? Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, my handle is at CBT Sports Psych. And then I will be uh, starting a new podcast called Movie House Sports Psychology. Uh, my trailer is out. So if you want, you can go to Apple's or iTunes or wherever. Uh, I don't know if there's even an iTunes anymore, but you could uh, <laughs> you could follow it right now so you don't miss the episodes when they when they eventually come out. And then, uh, yeah, if if you want to come on sometime and we can talk about whatever your favorite uh, non-Star Trek or movie is or talk about Orville or whatever it might be, then, then that would be awesome. Love to have you on. It would be my pleasure. Mm-hmm. And I'll definitely put a link in the show notes to your trailer so that people can go and check it out. Uh, thank you. This is, this is a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on again. That was Dr. Jason Von Steetz on psychological themes from Star Trek Strange New Worlds. It was awesome to speak to Jason again after three long years since his last appearance on the podcast. I always have fun chatting with him as a fellow Star Trek fan, a fellow sports fan, and as a student of human nature. One of my biggest takeaways from our conversation today was the idea that the Vulcan Edict Infinite Diversities in Infinite Combinations extends to the realm of emotions as well. I mean, we all know that a team is strongest when different people bring unique skills and talents and perspectives to the table, but just as important is emotional variety. Like everything, We need emotions in moderation. We must embrace our feelings, but not let any one sentiment take control of our lives. Emotional diversity means that we get to learn from each other and learn to balance each other out. A little Spock stoicism mixed with tendy cheerfulness. A sprinkle of Saru wariness blended with wharf confidence a dash of Torah's feistiness, and a hint of Troy calm. 
Thanks for listening to Strange New Worlds. If you're enjoying the show, help us out by telling a friend about it, leaving a rating or a review in your podcast app, or by following the show on Twitter at Science of Trek. Next time on Strange New Worlds, we'll be exploring Saturn's moon Enceladus with planetary scientist and astrobiologist Lucas Pfeiffer. I hope you'll join us. And until then, see you out there.